Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. I'm Pastor Aaron, and we are thrilled to have you with us this morning for our worship service. It's about to begin. If you haven't done so already, now is the perfect time to go and find your seat. When you came in this morning, you should have received a bulletin. You'll also find a pen in the seat back pocket in front of you taking notes. If you forgot your Bible this morning, no problem, we've got you covered. Just pick up and use one of our Bibles that are located right by the sound booth. And if you need a Bible, keep it, our gift to you. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're thrilled to have you with us as well. Uh, please let us know you're here by filling out the online connection card at estespark.church. Now, as we prepare our hearts for worship, we want to make sure that we remove distractions. So let's also take a moment to pull out our cell phones and to put them onto silent or do not disturb. And as we do that, here are a few announcements of some of the great things that are happening this week at the church. Fifth Sundays are a favorite around here as they are always incredible days of celebration and fellowship. Last Sunday, not only did we get to gather as one church family around delicious pies and brunch foods, but we got to celebrate and rejoice over four of our brothers and sisters in Christ who chose to be baptized as a public profession of their faith in Jesus. If you've never been baptized and are ready to take this step of faith, just check the baptism box on the back of your connection card. In his word, God commands every believer to be a part of a local church. The church is where we find discipleship, purpose, help, encouragement, and so many other things, and God wants you to be part of one. So if you have not joined a local church as a member, we have great news. Next Sunday at 9.30 in the Fireside Room, Pastor Aaron will begin going through the membership class for anyone who would like to become a member of the Christian Church of Estes Park. In this class, you'll learn about our purpose, mission, and values as a church, and where you fit into that here at CCEP. If you're interested or want more information about the class, just check the church membership box on the back of your connection card. Many children around the world have never experienced the joy of opening a gift on Christmas Day, and we're on a mission to change that. This year, be a part of Operation Christmas Child and change a child's life by simply grabbing a shoebox and packing it with Christmas gifts and the gospel. We only have one week left to collect Christmas boxes for less fortunate children around the world. So pack a shoebox and bring it right here to the church on or before next Sunday, November 13th. Won't you stand to your feet as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord? Let's all go ahead and take a minute and just prepare our own hearts and then we'll pray together. Father in heaven, you are holy God. You are majestic and you are above every other being. We come before you today to worship you 
And I pray, God, that um, we would just be humbled in our places. I pray that we would remember the cross, that we would think about your holiness and how um, you brought forth justice and love. I pray, God, that as we sing these words, um, we wouldn't just be singing mindlessly, but that we would be thinking about who you are and um, that they would be true in our brains and in our hearts. I pray, God, that you would be here and that um, we would be blessed worshiping you and that it would be a blessing to you. We thank you, Lord, for your love and for who you are and for your holiness and your justice and your mercy. And we offer up our worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Stop the Lord Almighty. 
who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Who can stop the power and fighting our battles and every around before him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood makes the change and every about before the lion and the lamb. Every Give the Lord some praise this morning, church. He is worthy.
into this time of corporate prayer let us remember who it is that we pray to that our God is the King of Kings that he is the Holy of Holies and that he loves each and every one of us in a way that we can't even fathom he longs to hear from each of us individually now this morning we're going to be praying with our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world and so as we enter into this time of prayer, I ask that you will open your minds and open your hearts to the prayers that will be on the screens. And let us pray together for the church around the world and especially the ones who are struggling. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning to lift up our prayers, to lift up our brothers and sisters around the world, to lift up the people who are struggling, who are hiding their faith. The brothers and sisters who are giving their lives, putting their life on the line, risking everything for you. In particular this morning, Lord, we want to pray that our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world will sense your presence. Sense the presence of the Lord with them. That you will give them strength. That they will continue their work. We pray that they will know that we are praying for them. That they will be aware that even though they are separate from us physically, that we are of one spirit with them to reach this world in spite of all the dangers. We ask that they will experience your comfort, that you will give them the strength to continue to do what they do day in and day out. We continue our prayers for the persecuted church. We ask that they will see you open doors for evangelism, that in spite of everything, in spite of all the dangers that they face, in spite of all the struggles, in spite of losing family, losing businesses, and losing friends, that you will open doors for them to preach the gospel, that all people might be reached. We ask that they will boldly share that gospel as soon as those doors open, that they will see the opportunity and they will take it work for the kingdom to bring all people into the fold. We pray that they will mature in their faith. That even though they struggle, even though they face dangers, that they will not lose heart but grow stronger and grow closer to you, Lord. We continue and pray that they will be deeply rooted in your word that those places that struggle to receive scriptures will be given sudden gifts, hidden gifts, that the Bible will be able to pass through borders that would normally be closed, and that the churches there will be able to use that as their foundation. We pray also that they will rely on the Holy Spirit to guide their actions, because your Spirit knows all of the things that need to be done to protect your people. Your spirit knows all the things that need to be done to share the gospel well, even in the midst of war, 
even in the midst of danger, even in the midst of being hunted down. We also pray that they will be able to demonstrate Jesus' love that no matter what evils they come up against, that the persecuted church will be able to love their neighbors in such a way that it heaps burning coals on their heads. As they are persecuted, they show Jesus' love and draw even the persecutors into the fold. We pray these things for the persecuted church, for our brothers and sisters around the world, the ones who have to meet in secret, the ones who have to suffer in silence. Father, we also ask that your hand of protection would be on them. Give them strength and give us strength to continue to support them in every way that we can, but most importantly, through our prayers. Let us take a moment to pray individually. without fear of anyone barging in the doors. We can worship without fear that we would lose our businesses. We can worship without fear of losing our families or our friends. Because in this nation, our faith in you is protected. But this is not the case around the world. There are many nations where this is not true. We lift our brothers and sisters up, trusting in your sovereignty and in your power. We ask that you continue to watch over your church and especially in those places where it struggles from persecution. Put on each of us and our heart a longing to support those people so that whatever means might come across our path, we will be able to reach out, that we will be able to support, that we will be able to have an impact on our brothers and sisters around the world who have to remain hidden. Father, we pray these things, trusting that you have a plan in place, trusting that your will is only for our good and not for our suffering. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we enter into this time of communion and the trays are passed around, take one of the juice and one of the cups and hold on to it until the end of the meditation where we will take it all together as one family. In the book of Colossians, we read this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things 
have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to the present uh, uh, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, <clears throat> do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. The gospel of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice to reconcile us to himself. And he is supreme. In spite of all of the evil of this world, in spite of all of the darkness, he still reigns. And what better to represent that than the communion? The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, shedding his blood, giving up his body, for us. Let us take a moment to consider the supremacy of God. was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Now as one body in Christ, remembering that he is king and reigns supreme over all creation, let us take this bread together. And in the same way, Jesus took the wine and he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my blood, which is poured out for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And now together, as one body in Christ, remembering that his sacrifice reconciles us to him, let us take this juice together. Heavenly Father, as we take this communion this morning, help us to remember its power. Help us to remember that you are sovereign. And in all of your wisdom and strength, you sought to save us. And you did so by giving up Jesus on the cross to reconcile us to you. You who are the supreme ruler of all. Help us to remember this. Help us to remember that you have all of the knowledge so that no matter what we are experiencing, whether it's in good times or in bad times, that we would remember you are on the throne, that you have a plan, and all things will work to the good of those who love you. Help us to remember this so that when we go from this place, 
in all ways, whether by word or deed, all people will see you in us and through us, will be drawn into your embrace for the glory of your name, for the growth of your kingdom, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy and powerful name. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. Whether you're here in person or joining us online today, we are so glad to have you with us. If you are a guest, we have a special gift for you. It is a book called Unshakable. If you haven't already received your copy, please stop by the Welcome Center after the service. This week, we'll be in our series, Throne Room, Beholding the Glory of the King. There are so many things in our world that can distract us and make God seem small to us. During the series, our pastors will be helping us get our eyes and our hearts back onto the throne of God so that we can once again behold His greatness, glory, and power. If God has felt small, distant, or ineffectual to you lately, then this is the series for you. Before we get started, let's talk about the green connection card in your bulletin. Once you have your card, please fill out your name and current contact information. One of the primary reasons we ask you to fill out the connection card is because we believe that God has a reason for having you here today. By filling out the card, you're letting God know that you're ready to take some next steps as the service progresses, and it allows us to pray for you and support you as you take those steps. One of our pastors will share more about those steps at the end of today's service. So hold on to your connection card and drop it in the offering basket at the end of the service. Inside your bulletin, you'll also find an offering envelope. If you came prepared to give today, please place it in the offering basket along with your connection card. You can also give online at our website, estespark.church forward slash give. Now that we've gone over the connection card, Let's turn our attention to the word of the Lord and get into the message. Let's do that, church. Good morning. It's been a few months. It's good to be back up here. Grateful to Aaron for giving the opportunity to preach um, in one of the series that I was really looking forward to uh, when we were doing calendar planning last year, because if there's one thing that I love to talk about, it is the glory of God. And that's, that's what this whole series is about. It's about beholding the glory of the King. So often we pass through church and life group and all these things that we do in the name of God, but we never take time to just sit and behold exactly who that God is. And, and I think that leads to a lot of empty worship. I think it leads to a lot of uh, times that we uh, went without being sent by God because we think we're doing things in God's name, but we haven't taken time to sit back and just behold who is this God and what is he calling me to really do. And so I've been very excited about this series. Uh, we're going to go over our memory verse for, for just one moment. It is on your connection card. I accidentally forgot it on the slides. Uh, and so I just want to go over it one time with y'all. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Today, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. 
uh, Isaiah chapter 6. So grab your Bible. You're going to need it uh, because uh, we're looking at a vision. And uh, when we talk about visions in the Bible, visions are something supernatural. They're given by God and they're crafted by God, which means that there's no accidental details in any vision because they're God-crafted. So God isn't accidentally or mistakenly putting some of these details into these visions that the prophets would have. Uh, And so I want you to believe that it's actually in there, that I'm not just uh, feeding you a bunch of uh, baloney. I want you to see it for yourself. It's in the book. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, and we are going to be taken up into the throne room of heaven with the prophet Isaiah. I remember back when I was in college, uh, I, I, I was kind of a hopeless romantic, still am, and I wanted to do something really romantic for Angelina, who was my girlfriend at the time, and, and we've been married for a little over five years now, uh, and so she is very much like a nature girl, like she wants to be in the park, she wants to go see like the wonders of the world, like she wants to take it all in and experience it, so one of the things that she wanted to do uh, and had never gotten the chance to do when she was younger was see Niagara Falls. Now, we went to school in upstate New York. Y'all know where Niagara Falls is? Upstate New York. However, it was on the other side of upstate New York, so it was about a five-hour drive. So we, uh, I got off of work. I wanted to take her there to see the sun rise over Niagara Falls. We were going to be on the Canadian side, which is the more beautiful part of the falls. Uh, and so uh, I got off work at about 11 o'clock. And right, it's about a five-hour drive. So I decided, you know what? I'm not going to get any sleep tonight. If I go to sleep, I'm going to oversleep. I'm not going to wake up to do this thing. And so I ended up staying up until about one, two in the morning. And I whipped around campus and I picked up Angelina and we headed to Niagara Falls. So we get there at about uh, five, six in the morning, just when the sun is about to rise. I mean, it's just beautiful, right? And, And you see these gushes of water just pounding down into the river below and and all of this water just rising up into a trickle above you. But that wasn't the most incredible part. The most incredible part was when we got on the Maid of the Mist. Anybody been on the Maid of the Mist? Right? It's like you have you ever been just so close to the falls that you just hear the waters thundering around you. Like you just you feel like you're in the midst of this this untamable power that is right in front of you. I mean, those things could just obliterate you in a second. They're just so powerful as the waters just cascade over the falls. And so we're on the Maid of the Mist, and I'm just left speechless. I mean, what do you say to that? Like, what what do you say when you're in the presence of something that is just so powerful and awesome? I had the same experience when we went to the Grand Canyon. She had never gone to the Grand Canyon, so I took her there the first year that we were married. We camped out at the Grand Canyon, and it's like you're looking in this. I mean, really, guys, like, it's just a big hole in the ground, but it takes your breath away. It's like, this thing is huge. And then the stars came out at night, and Grand Canyon, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's like you saw every constellation. Like Angelina went out of the tent at night and looked up and just started to weep because she was just in the presence of something so beautiful. And yet Niagara Falls, Grand Canyon, insert wonder of the world here, it is but a drop in the bucket in comparison to the majesty and the glory and the might of our God. And so today we're going to read a story of a firsthand experience of someone who experienced the weight of God's glory and his holiness, his power, face to face. 
But before we do that, let's open with a word of prayer, and I'd like to read you a prayer written by the Puritans called the Valley of Vision. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn the paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from deepest wells, and the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. Amen. So if you're in Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to read through it and then we're going to break it down together and, and see what the Lord has for us today. Starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. So uh, as we begin to get into the text, the, the first verse, uh, we kind of see this time indicator. Uh, we're in the 600s BC. King Uzziah was this great king, uh, only rivaled by really Solomon and David by the amount of prosperity that he brought to the nation of Israel. With all the technological advancement, he brought peace to the land. Uh, by all accounts, was a good king and then was a dummy at the end of his life. He got prideful. Uh, he went into the temple and did something he shouldn't have done. And God struck him with leprosy as a discipline, and he lived out his days alone, cut off from his people. But for 52 years, Israel lived under a very secure king, a good king by all accounts, and, and no doubt whenever there is the death of a monarch, 
that there's great grief and mourning and, and even maybe a little bit of anxiety and confusion about what's, what's going to happen next. We've had half of a lifetime of, of prosperity, of, of good blessings from the Lord. What's the next guy going to do? So Israel is in this place of turmoil. We see that this vision happens in the year that King Uzziah, this great king, died. And, and so this is Isaiah's timestamp, but he kind of uses this little bit of wordplay to tell us exactly what's going on in this passage. So we have a nation in turmoil. The king is dead. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so here's the double meaning in this first verse, because it's not just a time indicator for you and I to understand exactly when this is happening, but what Isaiah is perceiving is happening in the supernatural. He says, in the year that my king died, I saw the Hebrew word Adonai. The word Adonai means Lord, it means king, it means sovereign one. And so what he's saying is that in the year that my earthly king died, I saw a higher king, a greater king, that there was yet somebody who remained seated upon a throne. And here's what he says. He says he sits on a throne, a place of, of power and authority, of, of sovereign reign and rule. God is this king. And it says that he is high and lifted up. This king not only sits on a, a throne like right here with you and I, but he is high and lifted up. He is in a posture of exaltation. You have to look up to see him. So this king high and lifted up, this, this greater king than Uzziah who remained seated on the throne in the train of his robe, covered every corner, every nook and cranny of his temple. Now, I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember when Queen Elizabeth got crowned. She just passed away a few months ago. But it was one of the first broadcasts, it might have been the first broadcast ever that went across the sea for America to watch something that was going on in England, right? Uh, so, a matter of fact, I, was, I heard somebody talking about this, and they said that school was canceled so they could watch this. This is like big news. They were getting airwaves from across the ocean. And as you saw Queen Elizabeth getting ready to get crowned and coronated as the Queen of England, she had six women behind her carrying the train of her robe. Now in the ancient East, which is when I, where and when Isaiah lived, the train of your robe was a signal of two things. Number one, it was a signal of your dignity. How much respect and honor do you actually deserve? And the longer the train of your robe was, the more honor, worship, worthiness that you had in your reign and your rule. The second thing it meant, it was a signal of strength. And here's how. And I love this. When a king would go into another country and they would conquer it, what they would do is they would go and they would take the robe of the defeated king and they would cut off a part of it. And then they would sew it onto their own. And so the longer the train of your robe got, the more battles it would signify that you had won. And here we are caught up into the throne room of heaven, and we see the king who remains enthroned, high and lifted up, and guess what? He's never lost a battle. And the train of his robe is just overflowing in all of the temple. 
As far as the eye can see, his, the train of his robe, he is, he is clothed in dignity and strength. This is the king, the Adonai, that Isaiah is seeing right now. And then we look a little bit higher. And he says, above him stood the seraphim, verse 2. Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Now the word seraphim here, it's, it's a type of angel. Uh, did you know that not all angels are white guys with wings and harps playing on a cloud? This word seraphim actually means fiery ones or, or a fiery serpent. Kind of freaky, right? <laughs> it's not what you expect to see when you get into the throne room of heaven. These fire, like these serpents who are on fire with six wings. I don't know what you do with that. No doubt a scary sight. But like all things, they were made for their environment. They were made to be in the throne room of the king, the Adonai. And so uh, they have wings to cover their feet. And this was a sign of reverence because the feet were considered the dirtiest part of your body. And so to be in the presence of a king, you cover your feet. And then uh, with two uh, wings, they fly. No doubt in service to, to every will and wish of the king. And then two wings to cover their face. No doubt something that they had to do to survive in the presence of such a glorious king. And we see it in scripture when God descends. I can't look. You know, remember in, in Exodus when God descends on Mount Sinai in smoke and thunder and fire? And the Israelites say, Moses, you go speak for us because surely we'll die if we look upon this God. So many times in Scripture when God shows his glory, people have trouble with their eyes. The Apostle Paul, as he's traveling down the road when he was going to persecute Christians before his conversion, and he sees the resurrected Christ on that road. And what happens? It's like scales covered his eyes for days. There was a blindness that happened. So these seraphim, they've been created for their environment the same way that fish are given gills because their environment is the water, the same way that birds are given wings because their environment is the skies. God creates things for their environment and no doubt he did the same with these seraphim. And they're his servants in the throne room. And then these seraphim, these fiery, six-winged serpents, begin to sing a song. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So repetition is important. In the Bible, anywhere you read in the Bible, anytime you begin to see words repeated time and time and time again, the biblical authors are trying to tell you, hey, listen up. This is important for you to understand, right? So in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is preaching to the crowds, what are the words that he constantly is repeating? Truly, truly. The Greek word, amen and amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, he's saying, pay attention, this is reality. 
And so anytime we see repetition, it's important. And so not only is God holy, and not only is God holy, holy, but God is holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the Yahweh of hosts. Church, what I want to what I would want to argue this morning is that holiness is the most essential attribute of God's character for you and I to understand. And I think the church has missed it in a big way. If you were to walk into most evangelical churches, if you walked into a life group and you just pulled the room and you said, if you could use one word to describe God, what would it be? I'm going to say about 50% would say love. It's not a wrong answer. The Apostle John says God is love. But he, but he doesn't say God is love, love, love. And the seraphim don't sing love, love, love. I think many people, if you were to ask them, what's one word you would use to describe your God? Many people would say forgiving. Many would say gracious. Many would say merciful. Many would say kind. Many would say good. But none of those characteristics, as true as they are about God, are his most essential attribute for us to understand. Rather, it is the holiness of God. Now, when I say the word holiness, many of you may think of uh, men in white collars that take your confession or a, a monk who wears a brown sackcloth and just spends all day in prayer. What holiness means is twofold. First, it means moral purity. So when we say that God is holy, part of what we are saying is that there is no imperfection in God. There is no possibility that he could ever do any wrong because he has no sinful nature like you and I do. He is morally pure. Everything he does is good. And the second thing it means goes down to the root of the word. Holy just means cut off or, or separate. And so when we say God is holy, really we're just saying God is God. He's different than us. Like he's not equal to us. He is in his own nature, down to his very core, is other than, different, set apart, none like him. This is what we mean when we say holy. So many people would say love, he's kind, he's good, he's gracious, he's truth. Now all of those things are true, but they find their root in God's holiness. Let me explain it this way. God isn't holy because he loves. He loves unconditionally in a holy, different kind of way because he's holy. God isn't holy because he's gracious. You and I can be gracious with each other. It doesn't make us holy. God is perfectly gracious because he's holy. God isn't holy because he's just. He loves justice because he's holy. The words that God speaks do not make him holy. His holiness makes his words holy. It's what makes this book holy. 
It is because he is holy. And so if you walk away from church today with anything, understand this, that our God is holy, holy, holy. That it is his root attribute for you and I to understand everything about him. He doesn't love in the same way. He isn't gracious in the same way. He is gracious and holy and just and kind and good because of his holiness. So if you and I, church, miss out on the holiness of God, we are missing out on who he is. And the seraphs continue to sing, the whole earth is filled with his glory. What glory means is just holiness on display. It, 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 is, it is God's other thanness made visible for you and I to see it. Do you want to see the holy God? Man, look at the mountains as the sun sets. Just go to Niagara Falls and listen to the roar of the waters. That is the glory of God in part. Man, we couldn't handle it. We couldn't handle the whole glory of God, so he gives us pieces to look at all over this world. Like you look outside and you see the fingerprints of God all over this place. Here especially, man. Here in Estes Park, are you kidding me? Man, the glory of God is on display here. And it's his holiness that he's made visible for us to see. And as these seraphs sing this song in worship and honor to the king, smoke begins to fill the room. And the thresholds, the very foundations of this temple begin to shake. This isn't even God speaking here. These are just the angels singing. But these are symbols of God's presence. And let me, let me prove it to you real quick. Exodus chapter 19, verse 18. This is as God comes and descends on Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it, of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain greatly trembled, right? So we have earthquakes, and we got smoke as symbols of the presence of God. And so what Isaiah is seeing here is God as God intends to be seen. You tracking with me? This vision is God saying, this is who I am, Isaiah. Listen up. He intends to be seen as a high and a holy king who reigns supreme. See, God reigns supreme as a holy king. God reigns as holy King supreme. That's point number one. He is king over men like Isaiah. He is king over the angels like the seraphim. He is king over all creation where he has poured images and pictures of his holiness all over this world. Isaiah is seeing God in this vision as God intends to be seen. Here, here's the problem that I see in the church. And it's, it's not like this church exclusive. It's the church. 
is that we have sterilized, made more palatable, almost made a tame version of this holy, all-powerful king, the one who has never lost a battle, who is, has seraphim singing over him songs of praise for his holiness, this king who remains enthroned when the authorities in this world die, and, and we have whitewashed him. We, we have airbrushed God into oblivion. In the modern church, I see him treated far more often like a casual savior than a holy savior king. Like I see so many people with such a casual faith that, that walks with Jesus when it's convenient, that worships when it's convenient, that repents only when they're caught. This is like the state of the church that I see, and it breaks my heart because it's just a casual faith. Yeah, it's whatever. No big deal. But you know how Jesus described walking with God? He said it's like a person who is digging in a field, and they find this gem, this diamond, this, this most precious treasure. And he sells everything that he has and goes and he buys that field so the treasure can be his. He sees following God and being a child of the king is the most important thing in his entire life. So much so that he loses everything else he has to follow him, to have him as the highest treasure. But we have this sterilized, palatable, tame version of this king. Right? We've made the lion of Judah into a house cat who's just our casual pet that we get to hang out with and we give them some food like it's worship. And they make us happier during the day sometimes. That's not how God wants to be seen. So I see so much of this buddy-buddy faith. Like, like God and us are somehow equals. I, I, I hear it so often in the church. It's like, gee, I've heard this before. I was in youth ministry. You'll get it. Jesus is my homie. Real quote. That's a quote. <laughs> Not making this stuff. J Jesus is my homeboy. Like, Jesus is my, he, he's my guy. And it's like, there's, there's like no reverence for a king. Like, I guarantee if, if the person that you look up to the most was coming to your house, you'd put on your Sunday best. And you'd roll out the best food that you have. But our faith in God has very much become just casual. So I want you to consider this text as we continue to read it, my brothers and sisters, as a wake-up call. This king who sits on a throne, who is high and lifted up in a place of exaltation, this king who has angels singing songs of praise about him. Who is holy, holy, holy is your king. This is your God. This ain't Isaiah's God. This is your God. This is our king, our Lord, our master. How dare we make a casual faith out of that? How, how dare we be so ignorant to walk with God like he's just a casual friend. 
who does nice things for us once in a while so we come to church and we sing a song or two. That is not our king. This is our king. Holy, holy, holy. And this is the exact reason that the cross is so breathtaking, is it not? It wasn't a nobody or a criminal who died on the cross for you and I. It was this king who is enthroned in glory, who is all-powerful, who has never lost a battle. That's the guy that died on the cross for you and I. This is what makes the cross breathtaking. It's not just some common person or a criminal who deserved it. It was the holy king of heaven who died for you. That's what makes the gospel so beautiful, isn't it? It's not what happened, it's who it happened to. It wasn't a nobody or criminal who died on the cross. It was the king who died for his rebellious subjects. Church, that we would wake up and see God as Isaiah did. To see him as he intends to be seen. As a ruling, reigning, sovereign, all-powerful, never lost a battle, holy, holy, holy. That's how God intends to be seen by you and I. And as Isaiah receives this vision, his response, let me just say this. Y'all ever talk to somebody who's like, when I, got, when I get to heaven, I got some questions for God. He's, he's got some stuff to answer for. I don't think so. Isaiah, a prophet, a holy man, has this reaction. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. Other translations, you might, might say, I am undone, which I like. It means like unraveling. It's like Isaiah saying, I'm coming apart at the seams in the presence of this holy king. Why? For I am a man of unclean lips. I've got a dirty mouth. And I dwell in the midst of people with a dirty mouth. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I always thought I was a pretty good Christian. Most of us do at some point in our lives. We think we're like, like I thought I was, like high school, I got saved. I thought I was like a top tier Christian. Top tier, right? I was way up there. I knew more scripture than a lot of my friends. I was in church three times a week. Sometimes four, willingly. Right? I thought I was a good Christian. I really did. And then I went to Bible college, and I met my friend Liam. Liam Grasco, he's a, a guy kind of from a rougher upbringing, didn't know the Lord as a child, but uh, came to faith in high school and was just zealous for Jesus. Right? And his faith challenged me because I was like, no, I guess I'm not that good of a Christian. Like the way that he practices faith, like he was like, he was real. Like he wasn't a fake Christian. Like he was who he was, but he loved Jesus. You know those kind of people? Like they don't, they don't become like this like, oh, like monastery monk when they become a Christian. They're just like, they're just a saved and sanctified version of themselves. Like they're not like all of a sudden this like, you know, 
You guys get what I'm saying. I'm not going to go any further with that. But that's what, that's what Liam was like. He was just like, he was a normal guy who just loved Jesus. And the amount that he valued reading scripture, prayer, going to church every week, challenged me. So like, honestly, like, I don't really care that much about that stuff sometimes. But he was serious about it. And so his, his faith inspired mine, challenged me, kind of scared me a little bit too. <laughs> then I graduated college, and I met a man named Josh Camper. I graduated college, I thought I was, you know, I was back up here, I was primo, primo Christian. And then I got a job at a group home where I worked with uh, boys ages 13 to 19 who had, you know, had been in and out of the foster system in and out of juvenile hall, and I worked with them. And my boss' name was Josh Camper. And Josh, like, he brought it up to the next level. Not even the next, like, the next 10 levels. Like, I had never met a Christian like him. Like, I thought I was doing pretty good in my evangelism and my, my reading of scripture, but it's like, you could never walk in on the guy when he wasn't reading his Bible or having a conversation with somebody about Jesus. Like, always, like, he would, he would come in to work and be like, hey, bro, how you doing? I'll be like, I'm good, man. How, how are you? He's like, oh, bro, I'm blessed, bro. Like, God is reigning on the throne. Like, he would go on about how good God has been to him. And I'm like, shoot, I forgot to read my Bible today. You know, like, his faith was like, honestly, it was scary how holy he became. Like, in, in the short time that he had been a Christian, too. But, like, I saw a man who had a faith that was real, that had reverence for the Holy King. He showed me in his Bible the places where tears had fallen, where he wept over his sin as he read Scripture. Like, that's the kind of faith he had. He would walk into work, and he would just start evangelizing. He would have people like business owners come to his house. We had a guy who owned the gym. We were trying to get a good deal with him for the boys to be able to go. And... The conversation didn't end up being about getting a gym membership. It ended up being about the gospel. And, and this guy was just preaching the word to this gym owner. He was like, when, when you, like you know all the right stuff. Like, when are you going to make that next step? Like, when, when are you ready to make that decision and, and become a Christian and follow Jesus? Like, everything was gospel-centered in his life. And I thought it was a great Christian until I met him. And then his faith challenged me. And what we're seeing here as Isaiah beholds the glory of the king is that he is experiencing this on an infinitely more grand scale. R.C. Sproul said it this way, the moment that Isaiah understood who God was for the first time was the same moment in his life that he understood who Isaiah was. He grieves and he mourns in Adonai's presence, no doubt believing that he would die for he had seen the king understood God in his holiness. And for the first time in his life, he is seeing himself rightly. This is what holiness does. It's, it's, it's just a bright light. Can we do something real quick? Mike, could you, could you hit the lights real quick? All of them. All of them. You can turn off the stage lights too. It's fine. Live stream, we're in the dark right now. So you, you turn to your neighbor and you can kind of see like maybe the pattern on their shirt is there. Like, look around. It's like, we can see everything, but it's darker. It's a little dim. Can't see it as clearly. But then we, as we turn on the lights, as we turn on the lights, Mike, <laughs> sorry, this was unplanned. 
as we turn on the lights, little by little, as we get more light in here, we begin to see more and more details. So maybe we see a line on Jeff Fish's shirt that we didn't see before because it was a little dark and it kind of blended in with the color scheme. But it's like as the light gets brighter, the details become more prominent. We see more as we get closer to the holiness of God. And as he stands in the unadulterated presence of the living God, he is completely naked spiritually in front of this God, seeing every sin that is on him. This is what holiness does. It, it helps us see us. It says we walk with God for longer and we get closer and closer to him. It's like we start to see more in ourselves. Like when, when you first get saved, maybe, maybe stealing or, or substance abuse was, was your biggest issue. And then you overcame those things, but all of a sudden you start to see this pride issue in your heart that nobody else sees but you. But it's like as you draw closer to the light, more and more gets exposed. And he says, I am undone, for I have seen the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I have seen Yahweh. Okay, guys, so time for a reality check. Isaiah walked into the throne room with unclean lips. Till this point in the passage, he hasn't said a word. Hasn't said a single thing that would have defiled him in front of God. He walked into the throne room with a filthy mouth. He had unclean lips before he had this vision. He hasn't said a word. But all of a sudden, as he's in the presence of the king, he sees himself. See, beholding the king supreme, you behold yourself. Beholding the king, you behold yourself. This is why we're always pushing you to, to be in the word, to be in prayer, because these are things that will bring you closer to God, expose more of you, and back to the memory verse, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence to find grace to cover our sin. Mercy, right? This is why we we do these things, it's so that we can become more like Christ, it's so that we can be holy like God is holy, and his holiness is the bright light that exposes those things. So if you're not getting closer to God, then you're just standing in the dark. But that's not where God is calling us. See, the brighter the light, the more detail of sin you begin to see. So if you desire to be holy as God is holy, which you're commanded to if you are a Christian you got to turn up the light. Get, get closer to God, deeper in his presence. That's why we need to get serious as a church about being in the word, being in prayer, fasting, being in fellowship with one another. Man, there, there might not be a greater holiness spotlight than good friendships. Man, I had a, a great conversation with somebody in our church this week who was a friend to me and, and told me about sin in my heart that I couldn't see or that I wasn't taking seriously. And in love, they exposed it. Like, man, there's, there's not many better spotlights for our sin than good friends who love the Lord. This is why we want to be serious about turning up the light. So Isaiah's undone, falling apart at the seams, grieving over his sin, and he says this, then one of the seraphim, remember, fiery flying serpents, flew to me, 
terrifying, okay? Having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. I don't know what Isaiah was thinking, but if it was me, I'd be like, this is how I go. This is how I die, right? There is a fiery, flying, serpent angel flying to me with a hot coal from the altar. I'm done, okay? And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, first time he's talked this entire vision, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. So no doubt a horrifying sight. Isaiah is probably thinking, I'm dead. I'm I'm being judged. I'm being condemned. I'm sinful in the light of his holiness. I'm finished, right? But this hot coal that this, this angel brings to the prophet's lips was not chastisement or judgment or condemnation, but it was healing. It was, it was cleansing. It was atonement of his lips. It was the forgiveness of God, right? Vision, imagery. We know that we don't press a hot coal to our lips and get forgiven. That's not how it works. But this is imagery, imagery. It's vision. So in this story, we see Isaiah, a sinful man, but we also see his redemption by a merciful God because the king is yet merciful on sinners. That's point number three. The king is yet merciful on sinners. There is redemption for the fearful, repentant Isaiah. And listen to me, look at me. There is for you too. There is redemption, forgiveness, healing for you. Like you, wherever you stand with God right now, you're not too far gone. He has mercy. And after his cleansing, the prophet hears the voice of Adonai, the king supreme, saying, who will go for us and who will I send? And what happens? Isaiah immediately volunteers, okay? Like this, listen, this is the posture of a person who has been cleansed by the mercy of God. It is the posture of availability. If you've been cleansed by God, what he asks for you in return, and honestly, what should naturally happen is a posture of availability, right? It it comes out of gratefulness of heart, like I've been cleansed instead of condemned, I've been set free instead of judged. God has been kind to me instead of just, right? So this is the good news of the gospel, that when we have mercy from God, he also calls us, and we are called to make ourselves available to the king, right? If we are subjects of the king, then we make ourselves available to him. Every person cleansed by the king ought to make themselves available to his every calling. I mean, Man, this morning when we were praying for the, for the persecuted church, what are missionaries? What are the people around the world who are being thrown in jail for following Jesus other than a bunch of people just like Isaiah who said, hey, you're the king and whatever it costs. Isaiah doesn't even know the mission yet. He just hears the call. He's about to get a really difficult calling. But when God says, who's going to go? Isaiah immediately with cleansed lips and a thankful heart says, send me. I'll go. The repentant, purified Isaiah 
is called and commissioned by God to preach to a nation that would ultimately reject the king supreme. And as a result, they would reject Isaiah too. So Isaiah just got called into a really difficult task. And here's what we need to learn, is that God doesn't purify us in order to live a casual life, a casual faith, where Jesus is our friend, but he's not our king. But he calls us to a life of radical repentance and radical availability that we would say yes when he says, who will go? Send me. See, we like the version of God that asks nothing of us. We like the version of God that has such a low bar for our lives, right? Give once in a while, come to church every fourth Sunday, right? Do nice things. But we struggle with a God who is sovereign, ruling, reigning, who is king, supreme, whose every command we are subject to, but that is the faith that God has called us into at church, okay? Um, repentance always comes with a cost. Not, not one single person since the time that Jesus rose from the grave has repented and decided to follow Jesus and it didn't cost them something. It didn't cost them to give up things in their life. Didn't, it didn't cost them their desire for what they wanted to do. But God, God said to him, hey, go be a missionary in Uganda. Go be a missionary in Afghanistan with the persecuted church. That's a hard calling. It's difficult. That repentance, that turning around to follow God, it came with a cost. See, our issue is that we don't see God as our king, so we don't listen to him. But, but listen to me today. This is what the word of God says, that God will never cleanse a person without commissioning them to. God will never cleanse you without calling you into something greater. See, God commands a lot of things that we may not enjoy doing. He, I'm a worship leader right now. I'm not going to be a worship leader for, for much longer as soon as we hire the, the next guy that's going to be coming. But right now I'm the worship leader here. God commands, doesn't suggest, commands his people to sing. I don't know why. But there's no like, there's no addendum, there's no asterisk when it says, sing to the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Like, there's no addendum there where it says, unless you have a bad voice. Unless you don't like the song choice. You know, there's a reason the Bible says make a joyful noise, church. God knows y'all ain't y'all aren't great singers. Some of you guys are, some of you guys aren't. God made room for all. He says, hey, make a joyful noise. It doesn't have to be pretty, it just has to be joyful. I don't know why God asks us to sing, but I know that he does. God commands us to serve. But typically, churches kind of serve like they tithe, 10% doing 100% of the work. But God has commanded you to serve. Get involved in your local church. Serve to the glory of the king. God commands us to disciple others, right? To be the Paul to a Timothy. And likewise, he calls us to be discipled. So if you're not being discipled, nobody's checking in on you, holding you accountable, helping you grow your faith. If you, if you don't have a Paul, God commands us to have that. 
God commands us to love our enemies. That easy? God commands us to forgive those who have wronged us, to not hold grudges. Are any of these things easy? Like some of them are. I like to sing. That one's easy. That's cake. But loving my enemies, saying a prayer for the guy that flipped me off as he cut me off on the road, not easy. It's like your blood is boiling. You're like, Lord, I pray for this person. And you're like doing your your best to not ask God to rain fire down on their truck, right? (laughs) God calls us to a lot of difficult things. That's why I say repentance always comes with a cost. It cost Isaiah. It cost Isaiah a hard life of being rejected by his own nation, hated, ridiculed. Isaiah did not have it easy, but it was worth it. And it breaks my heart to see the bride of Christ unwilling to submit to the commands and the callings of her king. He's not your buddy. He's not your equal. He is our king. And he reigns supreme. To see God is a holy, fear-inducing experience. And for us to see ourselves rightly, repentance becomes necessary. And there will be a cost to it. I mean, something's got to give. And God will draw you out and commission you to do something that will cost you. But it will be worth it. It is always worth it to say, yes, here I am. Send me. Today, as we do our next steps and the worship team comes back up, we're going to sing our song response in just a minute. The first thing that we want to do is we want to take heart in the King Supreme. You know what that means? It just means have confidence. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious in the King Supreme. Uh, Now, most of y'all know that there is an election coming up. What should the first verse of Isaiah chapter 6 tell us? That no matter who is on the throne of authority, God still reigns. God still is King Supreme. And so it's reason for you and I to take heart. To, to not lose our wits about who gets into office because at the end of the day, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican or the seat is empty, God is still sitting on his throne. So take heart. Whatever the results are, when an authority figure rises or an authority figure falls, the King Supreme reigns. So take heart. Number two, draw near to God. This is the next step that I really want to press on you. Uh, Study your Bible. God did not give you a a 66-book compilation of his words so that it could collect dust. It is meant to be read. It is meant to be enjoyed and delighted in, to grow you and to challenge you. Prayer. We're talking about discipleship, getting together with some friends and, and just discussing the word and calling out sin and encouraging one another in the faith. I mean, great way to do this, join a life group. There's a box on the back of your connection card for that. Join a life group. Like these are people who you'll study the word with on a weekly basis and, and come around, pray for each other, confess sin to one another. I mean, th- you need to draw near to God. We need to get into the light of his presence so that we be- can begin to see 
exactly what is faltering. And we can ask God for his mercy. Number three, as Isaiah did, we need to repent of our sin. If you see something in your life that is unbecoming, if you're like Isaiah and you say, I'm a man of unclean lips, I've got a filthy mouth. God calls us to repentance. It's not a scary word. It just means turn around. If you're headed this direction, turn around and go back towards the Lord. And lastly, make yourself available to God. Maybe God is calling you to do something that you're really uncomfortable with. That does not sound like a whole lot of fun. And it might be a small thing, like praying more regularly. It might be a small thing like joining a life group. Or it might be something more difficult like leaving the life group that you've been a part of for years so that you could start a new one because there's people who are waiting to join a life group. Right? It might be going on our short-term missions trip to Mexico next summer. Sounds uncomfortable. Sounds hot. But if God is calling you, would you say, yes, here I am. Send me. So whatever it is, make yourself available to God, to his callings. And lastly, if you need to take the first step of faith and make Jesus your king for the first time, I want to encourage you to do that. But he's not like a genie in a bottle that you just kind of like you rub it and the genie pops out and you get whatever you want. <laughs> um, he's not a genie in a bottle and he's not your homie. He's king. But he's a king worth serving. Every other king will die. Every other authority will fail. The things in your life that you think are so important, everything in this world is eventually going to break or it's going to burn. And many of us have these kings that are faltering kings in our lives that we submit to, that, that we prize as most important. Let me tell you, there is only one who is most important. The king supreme himself. And he is worthy of your life. He, he is worthy of your efforts, of your love. So if you haven't made that decision to follow King Jesus, make that decision today. Don't, don't wait. Because yesterday is gone Tomorrow is never promised. Today is the day of salvation. The king is merciful to repentant sinners. Church, let's pray. Father, we do love you and we praise you. We thank you for all the good things that you have done for us. But Lord, more than that, we praise you because you are holy, 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 that you are deserving of our worship. And Lord, we do ask that you would uh, do a work in our church, in our hearts, Lord, that you would uh, break us out of seeing you as such a small God, that you would break us out of seeing you as our, our buddy or our equal. Lord, you have no equal. You are holy, holy, holy. There is none beside you. Lord, I pray that you would grip somebody's heart this morning, that you would draw them to repentance. Lord, those who have repented, that you would draw them into being available for your causes and your kingdom. Lord, somebody in this room who doesn't know Jesus, I pray that you would call them to make you their king. To believe and receive all that you are. Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. Help us to see you as such. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
we're going to take up connection cards now. Ushers, you guys can come around, uh, and, uh, and then we'll sing a song in response together.
Father, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. You are